Haven't you heard? The end of the world is approaching yet again. As we enter 2019 and going into 2020, the internet is flooded with articles and signs and predictions of the end. Just like we saw in 2010 and just like we saw in 1990 and just like we've been seeing just about since the beginning of the world. But what does the Bible actually teach surrounding this? For many of these articles, many of these things, these prophecies that are going out are, are using scripture and, and trying to connect the dots. And, may, and it really seems oftentimes that many of them could be right in some cases. But how do we know? What does scripture actually teach? Now, I know many of you may think, oh, PD, what are you, why are you even talking about this? Because no one knows Jesus. He can come back anytime like a thief in the night and we'll all be surprised. No one will have any idea when he comes back. I want to submit to you that scripture actually teaches otherwise. He says, yes, I will come as a thief in the night and no one will really know except for those who are in the light. We read in 1 Thessalonians 5, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all children of the light and children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. God actually tells us to be awake and not sleep like the world, but be, to be sober because we will know the season, the appointed time for when he is going to be coming back. We will not know the day or the hour, but we will know this season. And the word for season is Moedim. It means festival. It means appointed time. It, it, it points to the feast days that God has given us in his word, because those are like markers on a calendar that shows us where we are on the prophetic timeline of, of the tr- events that are going to transpire, of when he's going to come back, when is judgment day, when is all of these things, the marriage of the lamb, etc. In this teaching, we're going to, I'm going to talk about why Jesus cannot come back tomorrow. You see, many times people would say he can come back any time or maybe he can, he's going to come tomorrow or maybe he's going to come back the day after tomorrow. I want to submit to you that it is impossible for Jesus to come back tomorrow. It is not possible for him to come back in this week. It is not possible for him to come back in this month. It is impossible, according to Scripture, for that to happen. As to the date of the making of this video in, in 2019 and in the, in the in February. It is not possible for him to come back now because there are certain things in scripture that must be fulfilled first before he can come back. God will not come back or contradict himself and come back at a time that he did not prepare us for. He is going to be telling he has he has been giving us signs and and in in his word to help us see where we are on the timeline. And here are four reasons he's not coming back today or tomorrow. The first reason that he can't come back tomorrow is that the temple needs to be rebuilt. Scripture speaks about how the temple needs to be rebuilt in Jerusalem, where the Lord has appointed at that place. And then therefore, thereafter, the offerings need to begin again. The animal sacrifices as defined according to the Levitical priesthood and Levitical laws that God has laid out. 
Thereafter, we need to see an Antichrist rising and taking over the temple. But when we see these things transpire, we know we are at the end. We know that we are coming to the very end where things are going to start happening very quickly. We see we read about this in 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 2. Don't be quickly shaken or in mind or alarmed either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. Let no one deceive you in any way, for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first. The man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. We need a temple of God first for him to be able to take that seat and we need him to reveal himself. Thirdly, we also need a great rebellion or a great falling away or a great rejection to happen alongside all this. In other words, there is going to be this deception that's going to be uh, portrayed by this Antichrist movement that will be so great and so um, deceptive that many who are even believers who are Christians who who are not strong in their faith, who do not have endurance, they will fall away and they will go and they will join the Antichrist movement. This movement will be so deceptive that it will look like it is from Jesus. It will be so deceptive that it looks like it's from God, but it will have a twist. Only those who know the word of God, who keep his, the commandments and have faith in Yeshua will be able to understand and recognize this deception. So, brothers and sisters, no matter what article you read or what, whoever you listen to, unless you see in the news that the temple is being rebuilt in Jerusalem, don't worry yet because the time is not yet. Do not, and the scriptures actually say, do not be deceived for the time is not yet. In other words, anyone saying that he's coming back tomorrow, he's coming back this year and, and the temple, there's no signs that the temple are being rebuilt yet. That person is actually deceiving you. We need to make sure, unless, and from, as for me and my house, unless we see the bricks being laid for that temple, not just the rumors, not just the, because there's always been rumors. Rumors are deceptive. But unless the bricks are being laid, we cannot come and proclaim that he's coming back tomorrow. The second reason that he can't come back tomorrow is because he needs to come back according to his prophetic calendar. God has given us his feast days, who are, which are called Moedim in Hebrew, as I mentioned. They are the seasons or the appointed times that scripture talks about. This fee, these feast days are like markers on the calendar that shows us where we are on his timeline. For example, in the coming of Jesus, he fulfilled the prophetic calendar to the T. He fulfilled he was he, he was he died on the feast of Passover. He was put in the grave on the feast of unleavened bread. He was raised on the feast of first fruits. And 50 days later at the festival of Pentecost or Shavuot, he was the Holy Spirit was poured out on his people. Now, to the very day, these things were accomplished. These things to the T were accomplished on his feast days. Why do you think that the remaining feast days that have not been fulfilled yet would not would be insignificant. You see, the feast days have been given with this role and intent for God by God to show us where we are so that we will know the season. We will know when the appropriate season will be that he's going to be coming back. 
You see, the beauty in this is that no one really knows the day or the hour of when, for example, the Feast of Trumpets takes place because that feast is only starts by the sighting of the moon. And no one can predict what the weather will be like. No one can predict whether the moon will actually be sighted this or that day. So it's really difficult. No one knows the day or the hour, but we will know it'll happen this month. We will know it soon, even if we don't know exactly when it will be. His feast days are cyclical. And that means that they they often they don't they're not always just fulfilled once. They actually have a cyclical nature where they continuously point to event the events of God. For example, while I mentioned that Yeshua did come to die on Passover and get resurrected on lemon bread and, and all these things happen on these feast days, that's not where these feast days come from. Those feast days were given like thousands of years before that with the Exodus story. Where when, when God called Israel out into the wilderness, we see how he tell, asked them to come and celebrate this feast of Passover. So God already had this feast of Passover that existed. You know, unleavened bread was formed long before, first fruits were formed long before and established in the wilderness with, with Israel already. But only years later with the coming of Yeshua was it actually fulfilled. Similarly, the remaining unfulfilled feasts, such as the Day of Atonement, the Festival of Trumpets, as well as the Day of Sukkot or the Feast of Sukkot, these feasts are unfulfilled. But I want to submit that they're also cyclical in nature. For example, we will most likely see God start pouring out harsh judgment from the Day of Atonement at the very end. We will then see in the Day of Trumpets when He comes and He what, we, what many would call raptures his people from the earth. And then we have the, the festival of Sukkot, which or the marriage supper of the Lamb, where Christ will come to establish his millennial kingdom on earth. Then in the next cycle, as the millennial kingdom comes to its end, we will most likely see these feasts play a role yet again. We may see on the Day of Atonement, for example, about how the, the judgment of God will take place on that day, the, the great white throne judgment. We, we may see on the, the feast, festival of trumpets thereafter about how Satan and his kingdom is destroyed and flown into, thrown into the lake of fire. And we may then see also at the day of Sukkot how God comes and creates new heaven and new earth and lets us dwell there. Now, I'm not saying that these, as I describe these festivals, that is exactly how things will go down. There is many disputes around what event happens on which feast day. The only point that I'm really trying to make is that the feast days are important, that it has always been important to God, that God has always let, allowed and let significant events happen on these feast days. And he has used his feast days to show his people and to make his people look into the heavens and make sure that they are prepared for what is coming. So while we can dispute and talk about and debate about what will happen when and how the timeline is going to be exactly, I just want you to know that these dates are important and we need to make sure. If we are sitting in January and someone says a crisis is going to come back in February, we know they are deceiving us just on based on the fact that the Feast of Trumpets is only going to happen around September. And so we see that God actually said, for example, we know for a fact that on the Feast of Trumpets will be the day that Christ does return. We see in 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 16, For the Lord himself will descend with heaven 
from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive who are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. The third reason that Christ cannot come back yet is because the amount of persecution that Scripture prophesies we ought to see in the world is simply not taking place yet. While persecution is mounting up in many places around the world and it's increasing and even in Western countries today, which were previously very much Christian countries, we are simply not there yet. We read about a certain amount of persecution in the scriptures. We read in Matthew 24 that nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased and the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. He talks about how they will deliver you up to death. That is the degree of tribulation that will be experienced by believers. None, nothing less than being delivered up to death. So unless you're running from your home to be delivered up to death, Jesus is not coming back yet because that's not even the end of it yet. That's only the beginning of the tribulation. That's when things just start heating up. We then see that in the midst of this tribulation, the scriptures teach many will then fall away. Many will then not have the faith or the obedience to his commandments to be able to withstand the, the tribulation that will be experienced. And this tribulation will be worse than the Exodus. It will be worse than anything that the world has ever seen. Matthew 24 verse 13 also shows us how the rapture will not occur before this. We will have to go through this tribulation because he, he actually says whoever endures to the end will be saved. Not not before. You won't be saved before these things take place. You'll be saved if you endure until the end. Those who have endurance will be saved. So many who believe in some kind of rescue mission where Christ is going to come back and rapture us all up before anything gets hard. You will be greatly deceived when this tribulation hits and God hasn't come to fetch you yet. Because the reality is, is that scripture over and over and over, the pattern is always that these people go through tribulation, even though they are protected, like in the Exodus, which is like a prototype of what is coming, even though they were protected, they still had tribulation. They still had to go through many things. They were tested in many ways and they had to trust in God through it all. And so if you don't prepare yourself today when things are going well in comparison to what is coming, you will not stand a chance when things get hard. We further read about how after the tribulation is when he is going to be coming back. We read in Matthew 24, verse 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give light, the stars will fall, the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then, there, then will appear in the heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and all the tribes will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. 
And he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds, from one end of the heavens to the other. We therefore see clearly that the rapture, as many would call it, does not take place before the tribulation, but very clearly, according to Matthew 24, after the tribulation, after all these things have taken place, near the very end before God pours out his wrath on the lawless ones, well, then he will come and he will save his people from that. He will come and, and, uh, and, uh, and, and, and take us away, take, bring us up, as he says, out of heaven, and we will be with him. But how do we endure? How do we not fall away like many will? You see, brothers and sisters, the reality is that many, many, many believers will fall away. The way is narrow and few will find it that leads to eternal life. And wide is the road that leads to destruction. And I want to submit to you that many people are going to be on the wide road who think they're on the narrow road because they just don't look like Yeshua. Many will be there because they will follow a false Messiah, a false prophet, because they're not well versed in their scriptures. They don't have faith and they're not keeping his commandments. The mark of the beast is one of the main things that we brought against the saints to allow them to fall away. That will that will be part of the tribulation where it will prevent them from buying and selling. It will be a mark that will be on their hand and on their forehead, and it will condemn them to hellfire. We read about it in Revelation 14, verse nine. And another angel, a third, followed them, sang with a loud voice. If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into the cup of his anger. And he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever. And they have no rest, day or night, these worshippers of the beast and its image, and whoever receives the mark of its name. Here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. That last verse says everything that we need to really know. Those who want endurance need to take up this call of endurance. And that call is two things. Number one, have faith in Yeshua and Jesus Christ and what he did. And number two, keep his commandments. You cannot have faith, yet not keep his commandments, yet not walk as he exactly as he walked and say, I don't need to do that. But you say, oh, I love you, Jesus. It's not good enough. He says, have faith and keep God's commandments. You also cannot keep God's commandments as a form of religion, yet deny the power of that salvational faith that you need to have in Yeshua. You need to have both faith and works that demonstrate and as, as evidence of that faith. You, need, you can't just say, oh Lord, I love you, love you. You do not do what he told you to do. That will give you the endurance because see, brother, sister, if you lack in one of these areas, if you don't have faith or you don't have the commandments, you maybe have one or the other, you will not be able to withstand or have the endurance that, that those two elements will create within you to withstand the mark of the beast, the Antichrist figure, and the, mo the movement of darkness that will come upon this earth. God is equipping us today with the keeping of his commandments, as well as power and faith, such a faith that this, we can split seeds, such a faith that we can see the sick healed in that tribulation, such a faith that we will see these things take place. Because see, 
It's kind of interesting that a lot of us want to go into a tribulation, but we're too afraid to pray for the lady on the bus who's blind. If you don't have the faith to do that, how will you have the faith to see a sea split? Because that's the kind of faith that will be necessary if you want to make it to the end. That's the kind of faith that God is talking about when he says, have faith and keep my commandments. You see, the faith, what we have today is we have a playground in comparison to what is coming. God is calling us to a place where we need to step up, take up our cross, and to in this day, start proclaiming and walking out our faith as if, as if it is the end. Because if you don't practice today, you will surely perish tomorrow. There is a, we are now in a boot camp season, if you will. We are in a preparation, a training season to get ready for the tribulation. And if you don't take up your arms and die to yourself, you'll by no means get ready for the tribulation. Because brothers and sisters, just... Going and praying for people and, and seeing miracles is not what's going to make you, make, have you make it. Just keeping a Sabbath or just keeping a commandment is not what's going to make you make it. It's both. It's keeping His commandments as well as having a demonstrative faith where you walk in power for His glory like Moses did. Because see, Moses, before he went into the tribulation, listen to me, before he went into the tribulation, he had to exercise and demonstrate his faith in God when he came before Pharaoh. He had to turn that staff into a snake. He had to do all these things as demonstrative of his faith before God even led him into that wilderness. And you will die in the city if you don't have that faith to demonstrate you're even ready for the wilderness. That is what God is looking for. He's looking for power. He's looking for love and he's looking for those who are obedient. God contrasts the mark of the beast with the mark of God. In the Exodus, we read about the mark of God. And interestingly enough, the mark of God is at the same place where the, the, the Antichrist desires to place the mark of the beast. We read in Exodus 13, verse 9, And it shall be to you as a sign on your hand, and as a memorial between your eyes, that the law of the Lord may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this statute and its appointed time from year to year. God speaks about how his law is his mark. And his law is supposed to be written as a sign, on, as a memorial on, between our eyes on the palm of our hands. It is what we think and what we consume and what, we, uh, what our mind is about and what we do. That is what it represents. In contrast, the mark of the beast will also impact what we do. We will do lawlessness instead of lawfulness. Instead of keeping the law of God and having the law of God on our palm, we will have lawlessness there. We will be disobedient to his law. We will not know his law. We will consider his law as a strange thing. We will not think on his law. We will think his law is abolished. We will think even that maybe Jesus abolished his law. And that is dangerous because God actually says the mark of my mark is the opposite of the mark of the Antichrist. My mark is the keeping of the law. And he actually talks about this statute. He says you should therefore keep this statute as an appointment from year to year. What is he talking about there? If you read the context, he's talking about the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The Feast of Unleavened Bread was given by God as a commandment and as a statute. That when we keep it, we have to get the leaven out of our home, which represents sin. In other words, we take the leavened bread out and that is a feast we keep year to year to ensure that our homes are clean from sin and we have no sin on our houses. 
So therefore, he's saying, keep this statute every year so that you may have the mark of God on you. And if you don't keep this commandment, this statute, you will not have the mark of God because you will not checking. You will not be checking yourself for if you have sin or not. That's why God is continuously stressing. Keep my commandments. Be obedient to my things, because this is what will give you my mark. If you want to know what the mark of the beast is, just do the opposite of the mark of God. Don't keep the law. Toss it aside. Don't think on it. Don't do it. And you are guaranteed to go and sign up for the mark of beast, whatever that will one day physically look like. The number four reason that he can't come back tomorrow and that we need to keep in mind when looking at the seasons around us is that the gospel needs to reach the ends of the earth before he can come back. We read up in scripture how one of the conditions for his coming back is that this gospel is reaches every remote tribe, every people, every island, every corner of the earth, every person, every family needs to hear it. They may not accept it. They may totally deny it, but they need to hear it. And today we see this happening faster than ever before. We see how Muslims are receiving dreams left, right and center, even while being at Mecca, at their Islamic holy sites. They're getting dreams of Yeshua, Jesus, visiting them and telling them he is their Messiah. We have all of these final lost tribes or or, or islands that are remote, have never heard the gospel being reached by missionaries. We just heard about a few months ago about John Chow, who was murdered by one of these tribes who have never heard the gospel before. So some of these tribes do still exist, even though time is closing up quickly and the gospel for reaching them. We read about this condition in scripture in Matthew 24, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, every nation, and then the end will come. Now, while all these reasons certainly help us to understand where we are on the timeline, I want to submit to you that while it, it may seem now that, okay, yeah, there's all these many things that still need to happen. There's still a temple that needs to be rebuilt. There's still an antichrist that needs to rise. There's still tribulation that needs to increase to a point where it's it, where we are going to get murdered. We have all these things that still have to happen. But I want to submit to you, brothers and sisters, do not think, do not think that because some of these things seem a little a few years off, Don't grow passive in who you are, because now we have a grace period to prepare for that end. We need to make sure that we have the endurance by keeping his commandments and by having a faith that has power in us, a power that's from the Holy Spirit that we walk out for all to see. We need to be the ones proclaiming this gospel to the ends of the earth where we are in our workplace, where we are everywhere. So the people can come in before it's too late and don't bargain on your life still being fine until he comes back and you can chill out. You can be passive until things start getting a little worse because brothers and sisters, remember this, that even though the tribulation may not be tomorrow here yet, many have always thought, Oh, it's not in my lifetime. Oh, it's not in my lifetime. Oh, it's not in my lifetime. And then they die in their sin and they never lived as if he can come back tomorrow. So even though the season is not now that he's going to come back tomorrow or this instant, we need to live as if it is because we need to prepare. We need to make sure that we will 
walk as he walked. We need to, we need to understand we can have, my, you may only have 10 more seconds of breath in your lungs left after you turn off this video before your heart's going to stand still. And that's a reality we all face. We can die at any moment and every second and every breath that I breathe is by the grace and mercy of God. Therefore, I need to breathe every breath as if it is my last. Because that is how we will make sure when we come before him that day that we will not be sorry. We will not be saying, I wish I did this differently. I wish I was more passionate. I wish that I walked this up more. I wish that I proclaimed your gospel more. I wish that I looked into keeping your commandments more. I wish that I looked at getting rid of my sin. I wish that I looked into how to keep your festivals. Don't go before him one day and have to say that. Get yourself ready today so you can be coming before him in a clean conscience, a place where you're like, Father, I did my best. And brothers and sisters, none of us are perfect. We all make mistakes, me included. We all have a pure continuous repentance, purification process. But run after him. Take up everything you have. Take up arms and run the race as of one who wants to win. Because if you run and you, you, or, and you or you take it slow and you don't run, you just chill out. You're not going to win. And you'll be disappointed when you reach the finish line of the greatest race of life. The, gra- the only race that will ever matter. The race to your job will not matter. The race to your family, the race to this and that, all these, a, a nice car and house, all these other races in life does not matter. All that matters is did you build the kingdom and did you prepare yourself? Or were you like a virgin that was unprepared when the bridegroom came back? Share this video with someone so that we may all prepare and get ready. Subscribe to this YouTube channel for more videos on this. And I'll see you guys in the next video. Shalom and blessings.